0: Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Chorus Light. Go from full time to game time. Chorus Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host Wayne Lou, joined today by my loyal co-host Blake Murphy. What's going on? Alex is actually working and in the building but not on the show today.
1: Yeah, disappointing day for Alex, but he came through for the rest of us. We, we don't need to get specific, but yeah. shout out to Alex, a great team player today. Not just for the two of us, but for uh, for most of the people around this show.
0: Alex is like Chris Paul right now. Um, nine assists per game, <laughs> crazy assist to turnover ratio, and then shooting like ten percent from the field. Anyway, we're gonna talk. Um, you know, obviously, you have been writing some pieces, and you had a really nice piece about the Raptors' um, defense, and we're gonna go into that. Uh, I wanted to also check up on Dennis Schroeder as well. Um, So we're going to be calling him. He'll be, I guess, in Dallas. uh, Yeah. Currently there in practice. Yeah. So timing kind of TBD. Uh, We'll get to it when we get to it. But obviously, we're going to to check in with Dennis. Uh, And then in the final hour, we should be joined by Lee and Orrin as we look at uh, Canada basketball and just check in on how the Canadians are doing across the league because they do a really good job covering Canadian basketball. But first, I wanted to start with Blake. Great night in basketball last night. Yeah, seriously. It was,
1: uh, I mean, this is the nice thing about this show and um, the change for me from last year where a night like last night would have been a Leafs night for me Mm. the last two years doing a more general show where we're hitting every sport. And instead, I watched parts of like eight different games, um, had the the dual screen going up with with League Pass on the laptop and obviously Sportsnet channels and Sportsnet Plus on the TV. Uh, It was great, man. I don't... uh, I don't know where you want to start, but, like, the later games popped huge. Like, the the Timberwolves-Celtics OT game, Thunder had a really good game. Nuggets had a crazy comeback. Uh, what do you want to start with, man? Or do you want to get some thoughts off on Jack Campbell? The, the Oilers just waved him three years <laughs> he used to be the Leafs goalie. It's all anyone's okay. tweeting about right now. Really? Uh, but yeah, they just, they're just they going to eat like four years of cap hit.
0: Yeah, I think I'm the only person ever hired by Sportsnet 590, the fan, who does
1: not know who Jack Campbell is. That's a 2022-23 that's Blake concern. We don't have to talk
0: about that yeah, stuff yeah, this yeah. year. Um, I was going to say, let's talk about Minnesota beating Boston in overtime. Yeah, monster Anthony Edwards game, man. My goodness. I mean, first off, like the Timberwolves obviously are playing just much better. They've gotten two huge wins under the belt now in Boston, uh, uh, well, not in Boston, at home against Boston and also against Denver as well. But, yeah, I mean, my goodness, Anthony Edwards, man. It's just so fun to watch this guy. Um, I want to officially retract my super hot take that I was forced to give on air uh, and- of how much better is he than Zach Levine. The answer is a lot. Um, no, I mean, I just, look, I, I really appreciate, especially the young superstars coming in and being this um, aggressive, this dominant, and just having this mindset. Because, like, even on five fouls, defending... You know, Jason Tatum, you know, to the very, very brink. Uh, And then also making every single tough shot, making the right passes as well. I mean bro he was fantastic and post game he was fantastic we'll get to all of it
1: and the, yeah the shot profile on this one just shows the versatility right he wasn't the most efficient from outside but he hit a pair of threes he hit three or four mid-range jumpers he hit three or four in that floater range high paint area and then he got to the rim a bunch so if you're talking about I know we talk about three level scores our, our pal coach David Thorpe would probably want four level scores to include <clears> the second box uh, he did it at every level attacking what has been a really good Boston Celtics defense and I know they were without Derek White, um, so they didn't have the "quote unquote" best defensive backcourt in basketball available. Uh, but you still have Drew Holiday, who drew the assignment on Anthony Edwards for for large chunks. And with no Derek White, that means you start an extra big. So you've got the length of Porzingis and Horford right. in the middle, and, and Anth was just pretty pristine, man, operating against that. I, I know some Horford bench units uh, kept Boston in and pulled them back at, at some points, but this was this was ridiculous, man. Yeah. And,
0: you know, I, I think for Edwards, too, it's just like, like, you have, like, the one of the best defenders in the world guarding you, Drew Holiday. You have all these other options. And by the end, they were like, the only thing we could do is trap this guy, double team him. And that's probably the one weakness in his game is, like, the passing element. But I thought he did a really good job of distributing last night as well, um, finding McDaniels for. I think the game tying three in, in regulation and shout out to McDaniels, too, by the way. He completely dropped Chris Asperger's <laughs> in overtime to clinch the win in the last minute there. Uh, didn't see that one go around, but that was a really great highlight. But no, seriously, I think I think it's just fun watching him, man. I mean, it's, it, it's I don't know, it's a, a lot of these young guys that come up, they're not two-way superstars, especially from the start, and I feel like Edwards is really embracing both ends of that. Like, when I think young superstars who play both ends, like, he stands out to me. Yeah, he really
1: does, and and, you know, obviously, it's uh, against a team like the Celtics. You're going to use your teammates a lot. You have, even if Carl Anthony Towns has a bad night,
0: yeah,
1: he is someone who is drawing attention. If you're operating pick and roll with him or pick and pop like that, is going to draw some defensive attention. But um, yeah, you still have to, uh, you still have to do it. Uh, The only other thought I had on this one was I thought it was a nice Nikhil game too. Mm, Nikhil Alexander Walker has been. I know you guys are going to do the Canada basketball stuff in the second hour, but he's. I thought he's had a nice defensive start to the season, but he's been pretty quiet offensively. So for him to come in and can a couple threes at a time when uh, the Timberwolves kind of didn't have it yet, it was basically ant and, and nothing else in yeah. the offense at that time, uh, pretty
0: well-timed. I also do appreciate um, – Colin didn't really play that well, but in these crunch time moments is always one little Conley play, like a, a tough floater in the lane or like a catch shoot three that's really necessary. I mean, are, are we just – did we just underestimate the Timberwolves? I know, you know when we predicted what they were going to do in the season, I think our concluding thought was just like, it's hard to like fully feel confident in this team, hard to feel fully confident in Cat. But, I mean, their defense has been phenomenal to start the season. And if Edwards actually is like this every game, I mean – you know, I don't really see the ceiling for them too much.
1: Yeah, it's... it's. Uh, I mean, really, the ceiling will come down to the Cat-Gobert tandem. And I, I think their ceiling is a little bit more matchup dictated than some teams. Okay. Um, but at the very worst, they're going to be huge, right? Like, that's... They played, I thought, poorly defensively against the Raptors in the season opener. Mm. But what you run into is they're just so huge. They're everywhere. Yeah, and, yeah. and they bring Nas Reed off the bench. So they're right. effectively, you know three centers rotating through the power forward and center spots. And as did a nice game yesterday as well. Um, mm-hmm. So they're always huge, which means the paint is always going to be difficult. Um, if we look at what they've done, you know, they, they spanked the heat team that has not been very good, but it's still the heat. Yeah. Uh, they, like you said, they, they hammered the nuggets at home. That's the nuggets only loss of the season still. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, the jazz aren't that special, but they, ah, competitive. they, 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 beat the crap out of the jazz too they beat them by 28 points yeah so they've got some signature wins here and their two losses a road game against the hawks which okay you'd probably like to have that one back the hawks aren't anything special and the opening night one against the raptors where you didn't have mcdaniels
0: right i mean listen that loki that's looking like one of the raptors uh more promising wins this season i mean i know we only had three but like i mean you know it, it, it didn't feel that impressive at that time um but, I mean, if Minnesota is going to play like this, uh, that is a really nice win. Um, what about the rest of the game? So, you, you said Denver made a huge comeback. I, I too know about that point, but what, yeah. what happened there?
1: So, the Denver's bench just kind of caught fire. Uh, Julian Straw, their first round pick from this past year, had uh, 20 plus in that game, and he was uh, a monster down the stretch for them, kind of pulled them back from uh, the brink. They, they won the third quarter by 19 points. Okay. Uh, and that okay. was a lot to do with. Uh, You know, I mean, Peyton Watson in with the starters for a good chunk of that. They had no Jamal Murray in this game. Mm -hmm. Um, So already Reggie Jackson and KCP were both starting, but there was a lineup where Aaron Gordon had subbed out and um, Peyton Watson was kind of playing the de facto. Like Peyton Watson is positionless. Yeah. What'd you you call him earlier? Huh? What'd you call him earlier? He's
0: he's like a 6'8 Bruce Brown. Yeah. It's crazy how athletic he is. Um, and he can handle really well uh, for his size. Yeah, he I mean, came he up with two steals and two blocks yeah. in, a,
1: in a big stretch of play. So so that really swung the game. But in the fourth quarter, when, you know, at some point you got to go to your bench pieces, mm-hmm. um, Julian Strother came up with 21 points on 8 of 13 shooting. <laughs> he banged five threes. Um, and New Orleans, I mean, they had an answer. They had their own rookie in Jordan Hawkins, who dropped 31 in this one. Yeah. It was just a really cool battle of... Guys who were, yes, first round picks, but given how much attention was on the very, very top of the draft in Victor mm-hmm. Wembenyama, um, some guys, these two, Marcus Sasser, Derek Lively with Dallas, there have yeah. been some really good contributions from first round picks early on here.
0: Asar Thompson is up there in yeah. stocks. Maybe he's the portfolio. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, no, I mean, he's, he's good, man. But both the twins are really, really good. Like, yeah. they're just like next level special athletes. I mean, yeah, it's. I Hawkins was the guy if if people weren't familiar like it was basically him or Grady in terms of who's the best shooter in the draft Mm -hmm. and and let's be honest if Grady had a 31 point game at any point this season we'd be flipping up we dedicate a full two hours to Grady dick I promise (laughs) um but yeah I mean he he really went off in this one as well but uh no it's a it's a really deep draft honestly if the Denver Nuggets actually get deeper it's such a scary thought, man. That this was their is, one
1: weakness. And that's part of why, like, you know, you're trying to balance, okay, you just won a championship. You can't keep everyone together. Mm-hmm. Where can you let pieces go? And I I don't know that they would say this because they were so high on uh, Bruce Brown, and you don't want to talk negatively no, about no. a guy
0: on his way out the door. But It's also what he did in the playoffs. Like, it, it's one thing to, like, look cool in game eight of the season and have a nice game, but, like, what are you doing but, in the conference finals? What are you doing in the finals,
1: man? But I really do think that Peyton Watson was a part of why they were comfortable with that. We saw them making trades in the offseason as well. They made that trade with the OKC Thunder where they gave up a higher upside package of picks for picks now because they've done such a good job finding guys like this. Um, And and it's not like Strother is, you know, some unheard, like it's not like he was undrafted or anything like that. He was the number 29 pick. That's pretty good to have the number 29 pick come in and contribute for you uh, right away. But I really do think part of why they were confident moving off of uh, Bruce Brown is Peyton Watson last year in his tiny minutes. And in the G league looked like a guy. I, and I remember, I think it was Paul George said on his podcast late in the year, he got asked like, who's someone like under the radar or whatever. And he he pointed out Peyton Watson. And I was like, Paul George is, is like that. He's watching G league pass. Um, But uh, is that what they call it? Uh, it doesn't exist, it doesn't but that's what exist. I'd call it yeah. if uh, if it did exist. So yeah, I think if you're the Nuggets, you're you're really happy with how this has come together, kind of building out your bench for you. Don't want to advocate for a team to get cheap. But the reality yeah, is, right. you're going to have to give some stuff up. You're going to have to lose a piece here and there uh, to stay at that championship level. And between Brown, Watson, Strother, even Colin Gillespie had a had a decent mm, game yesterday. Okay. Um, uh, another undra- uh, an undrafted guy yeah. uh, who who they've added to this mix. I think you got to be. Really, really happy with how that depth is shaken out. Now, deadline time, maybe you're still looking at an upgrade because,
0: probably you know, yeah, Reggie. It is a really young group. Like, when you look at it off the bench, I mean, typically Reggie would start, come, like, come off the bench. Yeah. And he's been very involved, I feel like. Every yeah. time I watch a Nuggets, i like, oh, it's a lot of Reggie Jackson. But yeah. still, like, there there aren't those veteran contributors. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, th- this is essentially how you would sort of keep it sustainable, keep it, like, cost prohibitive as well. It's not like Denver has, like, all the money in the world. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Cronkies
1: are historically quite frugal on oh, yeah, the basketball yeah. and
0: football side yeah. they don't they own a f- soccer team too they own arsenal as well okay. they're not frugal with arsenal I, I i have to say that all right um i think they've, they've they've used their bruce brown budget for for declan rice which i think was actually quite quite a good deal um and then the last thing you had in here chet is pretty close to Wemby's level so mm-hmm. far and I, I feel a little bit like obviously everyone's been fixated on Wemby. he's been amazing but you actually kind of blew my mind when you were like you know, low-key, Chet is actually slightly outperforming Wemby to start the season.
1: Yeah, and I don't mean this to be that Chet is better than Wemby yeah, yeah, or sure. things like that, but Chet is also technically a rookie, and right now it looks like we're running back the Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, mm. Wemby's going to have to show up in a size quadruple XL sweater that says, like, real rookie or legitimate rookie or, or whatever it was that Donovan oh, Mitchell did. I forgot did. about that. Yeah, I forget what the sweater said, but he, like, wow. wore something... That took a shot at ben, at the fact that Ben Simmons wasn't a uh, really? an actual rookie. Yeah. But right now, um, Wemby's averaging 19.4. Mm-hmm. Chet's averaging 17. Wemby's at 8.4 rebounds. Chet's mm-hmm. at 8. Um, Chet's assists are ahead 2.7 to 1.7. And then they're both... Chet's at 3.4 stocks and, and Wemby's at 3.9. So we're talking... Wemby's got like a two-point edge and everything else is... And Chet has a one-assist edge and everything else is pretty, pretty close... And then the Thunder have obviously been a, a little better as a team. Now, Chet has way more help. He has Shea feeding him these spots. He's anchoring a defense that already has Lou Dort and Jalen Williams. And there are more pieces there. But we know how rookie of the year voting goes. And it's a, it's almost always a stat award. Yeah. So I, I just put the note in there because I think here, a couple weeks in, it is a 1A, 1B situation and not a 1-2 situation.
0: No, I mean, first off, like, you know, I, I think Webby is a little too popular not to win it, honestly, as yeah. long as he stays healthy and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, that, Chet is fairly close, and I am really looking forward to seeing at least their first matchup. Um, Chet definitely has a better team around him.
1: Yeah, that and know? that's, like, that's going to be the tiebreaker. I, I do yeah. think people would use it against Chet that he's, you know, he had last year to redshirt. Um,
0: yeah, I think it genuinely
1: helps. Like, I don't. Yeah, you, know, it's like, what, what the, you get to sit on the bench and pick up the speed of the NBA. Yeah, you're yeah. in NBA practices. You Because you're injured, obviously an injury is not good, but that right. gives you all that time to focus on player development. Even adjusting in
0: your life. Yeah. You know, you're, uh, you're fully settled in and everything like that. So that's real. By the way, Will, uh, yeah. circle
1: your calendar next Tuesday. They're the early game on the TNT doubleheader. Oh, okay. I will definitely
0: tune into that. Mostly because um, this is just the direction of basketball that's moving it towards, you know, this uh, stretchy seven-foot, like noodley people. Uh with every skill in the book. Because I also watched the uh whatever Wemby well, did not play well last night or just overall the, the Pacers, which is amazing. Um and blew out the Spurs. But um the warm-up drill, watching Wemby <laughs> do the dribbling drill with the two balls. Like first off, it's not even fair when Wemby puts it between his legs because I feel like there's so much space the area of the triangle underneath his legs. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well this is this is yeah. what he
1: does. He does the two balls at once. Yeah, he yeah, does yeah. the
0: double crossover at the same time between the legs. Yeah, which is like a go to skill for like Pretty much all every guard in the NBA will, will do some sort of warm-up dribbling drill like that, um, except it's Wemby. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, exciting times, exciting times. Okay, um, I wanted to pivot over to the Raptors as well. Um, you wrote a great piece over at Sportsnet.ca where we can find all your work, Blake. And, um, you know, you, you checked in on five statistical trends on the Raptors' defense to start the season. And I, I have to say, like, reading this piece, I mean, really clarified a lot of sort of what we see – on the eye test, which is uh, always reassuring. But the Raptors, despite, you know, having a losing record so far on the season, have always, has been really, really strong uh, defensively, which is exactly sort of what we expected. Um, so I'm just waiting for this page to load because yeah. I want to get to the first trend. There we go. Uh,
1: yeah, so right now there's six to set the table here before we yep. get into the specific trends. There's sixth overall in defensive efficiency, so that is points per 100 possessions, so we're just controlling for pace, and we're cutting out garbage time. Mm. So once okay. you're down, once you're up or down 20 points or whatever in the fourth quarter... Cleaning the glasses where we get these stats. Mm. They just cut off the garbage time for us. To cut the Bucs game? Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's the only garbage time game, I think. So the Raptors are sixth in defensive rating. They have played Philadelphia twice, and Philly is the number one offense in basketball so far. Okay. They have also played, who else have they played? Milwaukee, who are 12th in offense. San Antonio, who are 15th. Minnesota, who are 19th. Portland, who are 30th. Oh, and Chicago, who are 18th. So they basically played one. Chicago's 18th? God yeah. damn, good for that. Uh, they played the worst offensive basketball in Portland. Yeah. They have played the best offensive basketball twice mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else is like, I don't know, somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think they definitely have done a decent job defensively, pretty much against everybody except for Embiid, which, I mean, they even had a bit of an answer for Maxi in, in game two. But Embiid has just absolutely killed them. But um yeah, the the five statistical trends to, to watch for. Number one you mentioned is that the corner three is being prioritized. Now, I think this is something that definitely feels like, okay, why isn't it prioritized in the past? But historically, the Raptors have given up a lot of corner threes. And this year is a really sharp change.
1: Yeah, it's my favorite uh, uh, graph to put up there in in different articles. And I I did this one at the start of the season as well, um, anticipating that the Raptors were going to try to do a better job emphasizing the corner three. And you guys can't see it on screen because I forgot to send it to Jennifer earlier. Um, But basically, it's a plot of how many corner threes you allow and your defensive efficiency. And basically, it's really, really hard to allow a ton of corner threes and be a good defense. The only teams that have done it recently are Nick Nurse Raptors and Eric Spolstra Heat. Mm. Those are the two teams that seem to be able to. And it's not because you hold teams to a low shooting percentage on those. It's because that's the tradeoff you make to take care of everything else. Force teams away from the paint, force turnovers, things like that. And when the Raptors were really, really good at this in 2019-2020, What they were doing was forcing a ton of turnovers, Mm -hmm. keeping teams away from the rim, and then, yes, if you had to shoot from the corner at the end of a possession, whatever, we're okay with that. What happened over the years was they stopped doing the part where they keep teams away from the rim. Right. So suddenly you're giving up a ton of looks at the rim and a ton of corner threes and a bunch of free throws. Yeah. And you just, even with very, very good defenders, that's not going to keep up. So what we've seen this year is the Raptors significantly take better care of the corner three, um, which is nice because they have good length, they have good speed, they have good closeout principles to make those shots tough when when a opponent does get them off, but mostly they're they're enticing teams to swing the ball back up to the top of the floor mm. or drive out of the corner where you have that extra defender the baseline where they can only go so many directions. So the Raptors are actually allowing the seventh fewest corner threes after leading the league and, and setting league records over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, this is definitely um, a change that Darko Told Us about, I think, even on day media one, day, yeah. on media day, might it might have even been he might have even said that at his press conference when Masai infamously said, uh, Call me Masai Yujiriakovich, that one that was outdoors, uh, where Darko did say that he wants to take away the corner three and, and limit paint looks. And you know, it's great to see that sort of follow through, um, between sort of what he said and, and the plan here and being executed by the players. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, in terms of like schemes, like, are they doing something differently where? you know, they're not allowing that corner three specifically.
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is, is they have ratcheted back the aggression
0: that they have. Um,
1: not on ball necessarily. They're still getting right up in guys. You see it with, with Dennis Schroeder all the time at the point of attack, even picking up three-quarter court sometimes. Um, you you see it with, certainly with OG, with certain types of players. He wants to get up into them tight. scotty has been really good at it, and sometimes he'll, you know, go through the guy trying, trying to make a play happen. Um, so it's not the aggression on ball, but it's all of those cheats that they used to do where you were selling out to create a turnover. And again, they have had success like that as a defense in the past, and it's important because it fuels your transition game. Yeah. But what I think has happened over the last couple of years and isn't happening now is that balance of what is a good risk versus what is a bad risk or what risk leaves your, the defender behind you in a bad position. They're doing a better job. They're doing a different job Staying out of passing lanes. Obviously, they still have a ton of length, but you're not seeing like Fred's job used like he was on kind of like a a rotating thing to the nail and back to the wing Mm -hmm. whenever anyone was driving. Get that hand in there. Um, And that's not like that was something Fred did, something Gary did, something they asked Malachi to do. Um, They're doing less of that. And what that allows guys to do is stay at home on their man a little bit more. Okay. And it's one of the questions. There was a practice late in preseason where basically it was only me and you there. And, oh, yeah, and one. we asked Darko about, um, you know, Hey, would a more conservative scheme, like is part of that. You have all these great defenders, just trust them to defend. And that's what we're seeing a little bit more. OG is not getting a ton of help when he's guarding Anthony Edwards or Joel Embiid or whoever, mm-hmm. because you're trusting OG Ananobi until that, Possession gets to like a nine one one area. You're not sending as much help. And that right. lets guys stay at home better. Um, obviously, a lot of times help comes out of the corners. Yep. So if you're staying at home more on the corner three, it's harder for the ball to rotate there. But also, if you're staying closer to your guy on the wing and things like that, you know, that one extra pass and you have to X out. So leave your man to cover someone else's man spotting up. That is easier to do too because, you know, everyone can stay more on a string. You know more what your assignments are because you're not straying three different actions away from your initial assignment. So uh, this is a very wordy way of, of... Explaining that they're staying at home a little bit more and trusting their defenders. And that keeps everyone in a better position for later in that defensive possession, which I think allows you to funnel the ball out of the corner and back up top.
0: Yeah, I I think um, the addition of Jakob Pertle, I I think, is pretty evident in this case as well. Because one of the reasons why the Raptors um, committed so much help in the paint, uh, in addition to trying to force every turnover, every play, (laughs) which was uh, a gamble-heavy defense was the fact that, you know, they really couldn't protect the rim. They couldn't really prevent guys getting downhill, and there was no real shot blocking down there, even though rebounding around the basket is poor. The rebounding this year still has room to improve defensively, Um, and I thought they did a better job of that in San Antonio. But you have Yak there. Being a seven-footer, he can really, really lock up um, the paint area for you. I think Dennis providing a lot of uh, pressure on the perimeter as Mm -hmm. well has, like, Outside of Maxi and Embiid, I really f- haven't felt like most teams have been able to get into their pick and roll actions no. that effectively against and, the Raptors. And even if they do, it's later yeah. in
1: the clock, right? Yeah. If, yeah, if Dennis
0: sorry. grinds you up trying to get past
1: half court, and yeah. then you have to set that screen higher, and it takes you maybe a rescreen to get free, suddenly you're getting into your main action with 14 left on the clock right. instead of 18. Like all those little things
0: matter. Yeah. Um, having said all that, though, I mean we'll see how they do against Luca. Uh, Luca will bend yeah. the Raptors' defenses in and- ways that. Will be unique.
1: And to your Jakob point, he is having a a nice impact on frequency of shots at the rim and also opponent field goal percentage when they're at the rim, as you'd expect. Obviously, he's not a huge shot blocking presence, but opponents are shooting 5.2 percentage points lower Mm. at the rim when Jakob is on the floor. So, um, you know, his length, his size there is important. Overall, though, I, I would say one area that the Raptors do need to shore up is as a team, their rim protection is still not. Particularly strong uh, opponents are getting there. I, I mentioned last year, you know, teams started to have these these easy runs to the rim and shot well there yeah. because everyone was scrambled and there was no one back there. Right now, what's happening is the Raptors are staying at home a little bit more, but teams are still getting to the rim at about a league average rate, okay. and they're shooting pretty well. When they get there, shooting almost 70% against at the rim against mm. the Raptors. Okay. Now, like I said, that's better with Jakob on the floor. And I think in that number and in the defensive rebounding number, we see the, the precious absence reveal itself. Yeah. Um, the, the Raptors rim in protection and defensive rebounding drop off a cliff when Pertle's not on the floor. Um, so I know Pertle hasn't been very good offensively outside of the last game, um, but you
0: are seeing his impact defensively in some subtle ways like that. Right. Okay. Uh, point number two. So you talked about they're forcing fewer turnovers. But it actually hasn't cost them in transition offense, which I think was the biggest fear. It was like, yes. oh, my God, the Raptors can't score at all. Uh, we're going to need to live off of these transition t- uh, you know, opportunities. And if we're not gambling for steals, then how do we get transition opportunities? Well, Dark was also kind of said this as well in his press conference. He's like, well, basically, like, you know, if you get a defensive rebound, it's similar to a turnover. Yeah. Um, especially depending on sort of what kind of person is it rebounding that ball. And, 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 you know, if they're a good ball handler, for example, they're able to really pass and make a hit ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, this is a promising sign. Yeah. And this is
1: where, you know, you have defensive rebounders. And this is where so the Raptors are second last in defensive rebounding so far. So yeah. they okay. they Room need to, to get better at that because that's going to fuel transition opportunities. Also, it's just so demoralizing to defend for a whole possession yeah. and then the ball lands in someone else's hands. This is why um, they lost the Portland game. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a huge thing. And it's it's honestly, it kept the Spurs around a little longer than, mm. I mean, or it had the Spurs ahead yes. a little more than they, they maybe should have been. Um, so, yes, if you grab a defensive rebound and push off of it, and the Raptors have Scotty and Pascal and Dennis, who obviously have green light to push. Gary has green light to push if he comes down with it. Even OG probably has, like, He's um, had a couple of transition
0: finishes. He's usually the yeah. trailer on the plays. Yes.
1: He, but he's been aggressive. And that's usually because he's defending the shooter. Yeah. And you it's hard to get the rebound if you're defending if you're the primary defender sure. on the action. Um but he's allowed to, to push it. Obviously, Malachi can go. So all of these people are empowered to, as soon as you grab a defensive rebound, run. So what's happened here is they are 23rd in the league running in, in how often they run off of steals. So that's way down. But they are by far the most effective team in basketball running off of live defensive rebounds. They are number one in points per possession. Mm. Wow. Um, they're, they're only eighth in frequency because again, they're not defensive rebounding well enough, but they are lapping everyone in terms of points per play. When you can get a defensive rebound and push. That's really,
0: that's really encouraging. Cause I think that that's another thing too, that you hear from Darko is he wants the pace to be mm-hmm. high at all times. And I think, this is where Dennis has really helped too. I mean, mm-hmm. Dennis has uh, has done really, really well in, in making the right decisions in transition, but also keeping up his energy. I, I haven't seen him really slow down the ball coming up the floor all that often. No, never, so especially I, off a rebound.
1: And it's great, and that that opens up things for you know that you pointed out that pitch play yesterday. I think the you know Dennis comes down. It's the old Pascal and Fred. It's the old Kyle Demar. Yeah. And then there's a trailer, and here you go right into your bread basket for for yeah. a step in three. Um, that's available there. If Yach's behind, you kind of get that that delayed screen coming in, and that can usually be helpful if Yax's the roller because he's got right. a head of steam. You know, we saw one of those against um, where do we see it against? I think we saw it against Wemby, where he just had like a an easy lane to the. Anyway, I, may, I might be yeah. mixing up games here, but those are available to you. Um, what I wonder what you think will though. So all of this, the overall of this is they're the number two transition team in basketball so far, uh, trailing only Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Indiana has pushed a ton, but they haven't been quite as effective point per possession. Yeah. Um, Cleveland's the only team that's been better in transition overall. The fact, though, that the Raptors are so good pushing off of live defensive rebounds and are second last in defensive rebounding, do you think those things are related in that maybe guys are leaking out a little too early before they come down with a defensive rebound?
0: Um, I think there's definitely an aspect of that. I also feel like we've consistently played large front courts. mm mm-hmm. Um, So, especially early in this season, the matchup data is going to look a little bit weirder. Yeah. Like, you know, outside of, I think, um, we played Minnesota— uh, so Minnesota, Towns, Gobert, Reed, yep. rotating, and two of those always on the floor. We play Philly twice, and you know how much Nick likes to crash the glass. Also, yeah. they have Embiid. Yeah,
1: and Tobias uh, Harris is, like, pretty, pretty big sure. and uses his size well yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. They Kelly have has been up on the edge. glass,
0: guys yeah. like that. Um, Chicago has Vooch and Drummond, obviously. Yeah, and and the Portland game. I mean, that was the first time I've ever really thought of dominating as dominating because he had 23 rebounds. Yeah. Now, of course, that's not typically what he does, but he actually did really work us on the glass that game. So I think, I think honestly, watching through a lot of those, um, my takeaway is just, like, there's blockhouse assignments people aren't really you know tapping into and i think that the second unit has been really more guilty of this one than anyone else like i mean the second unit is usually pretty small anyway because it's been chris coming in Mm -hmm. at center because precious continues to be you know dealing with this lingering groin issue um and he's usually the rebounder for that group and so you know chris is trying to do his best you know rebounding the ball but he's going to need a lot of help from alakai from grady from gary those guys need to sort of box out and some of those guys yeah they do leak out a little bit but um ultimately i think it's more of a attention to details kind of thing and uh yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something for the Raptors to improve because, you know, as you mentioned here, number three, dialing back to turnover regression has let the Raptors defend even better. Like, they're actually forcing misses at a really, really high clip. Yeah, at the highest clip in the league, honestly. So um,
1: we have a stat called effective field goal percentage, which is just field goal percentage, but you adjust for the fact that threes... Uh, count for more than twos. Yep. So it, it works on the same kind of scale. It doesn't include free throws, which we'll we'll talk about after. The Raptors are about average, sending opponents to the free throw line. But actually, Minnesota passed them for first last night. Oh, okay. So the Raptors are now second in opponent effective field goal percentage. So um, you are when an opponent finishes a possession with a shot, mm-hmm. again excluding free throws, they're getting less than a point per shot. Mm. It's only Minnesota and Toronto who are doing that around basketball right now. Now, that'll normalize. No one was that good last year. Milwaukee led the league at 52% effective field goal percentage. Um, but that's a really good sign. Now, some of that might be noise. We know that over a decent sample, you can't really force opponents to miss a ton of threes or make a ton of three. You have way more control over how many mm. they're taking yeah, right, than, right. than um, how many they're making. But you do have control over... Mid-range volume, and we know those are less efficient. You do have control over um, how well teams shoot at the rim against you. So, yeah, I mean, there are good signs here. There are, if we even look at just the shot locations, they're top 10 in terms of are you forcing opponents into inefficient shots? Mm, and then they're nice. number two in terms of are opponents making those. Some of it might be noise. Some of it might also be OG, really good defender. Yeah. Pascal guarding a lot of guards who he has size over and can get a hand up on. Yep. Scotty Barnes in that lower third has been way better defensively yeah. than, than he was last year. All, always flashed it, but we're seeing it more consistently now. Um, and then, like you said, you have Jakob around as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, no,
0: uh, we have no weak spots in the starting five, which I feel, I feel like last year there were definitely lots of moments where you'd have to cover for the fact that you didn't have a center. So you're playing like Pascal or Scotty or OG at center. Uh, So you have to cover for them um, because of the fact that they're in a mismatch. You have to cover for quicker guards. You know, like, okay, can Fred sort of survive on some of these guys? We saw Scotty guard a lot of point guards, partially for that reason. We wanted to switch a lot more, too. Like, the Raptors are now a lot lot more solid. And I kind of trust one through five for the starting lineup to really guard their man. Like, I trust Dennis to guard opposing point guards. Uh, I trust Pascal to guard shooting guards for sure. I mean, I trust, you know, Scotty and OG to do their thing. They're amazing. And then Yak is really, really solid against fives who aren't really stretching them out like that. So that makes a lot of sense. I think that, um, you know, point number four here, there is a defensive rebounding problem and it's costing yeah. the possession battle. So we kind of touched on this earlier. So they're not really good at defensive rebounding. But one thing the Raptors did last season was they would always win the possession battle yep. to like a comical degree. And it's not happening anymore this year.
1: No. So last year, because they were number one in turnovers forced and number one in how... Infrequently, you turn the ball over. So they were lapping everyone in terms of turnovers. And then they weren't a great defensive rebounding team, but they were a really good offensive rebounding team. Yes. So the net of that was in an average game, the Raptors were taking nine more shooting possessions than their opponent. That's massive. Mm-hmm. Like, think about what how tight most games are. And then one team gets nine extra shots or shooting possessions. Yeah. This year, that has come back down to earth and further. They are getting three and a half shots, shooting possessions fewer than their opponents because they're losing the turnover battle and they're losing the rebounding battle. Three and a half is not extreme. You want to clean it up. It's not going to cost you a ton of games, but it's not great that it's. Uh, it's. you'd like to be neutral or better. And then the crazy thing is you add those together and it's like a 12 to 13 shooting possession swing from mm-hmm. last year. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at, well, the Raptors are shooting this on field goals, this on threes, this on free throws, opponents are shooting this. Why isn't it as effective as, as last year if it gets to that point, right? Well, there's a 12 to 13 shooting possession gap, and right. that, that makes up a lot. I, I think that'll probably uh, normalize a little bit. Like, I think the Raptors will get closer to neutral as they clean up the defensive rebounding. But uh, it is pretty stark to, like, see 80s in the field goal attempt column at the bottom of a box yeah. score instead of, like, high 90s and 100.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I think the the big thing is – the Raptors last year played not gimmick basketball necessarily, but a lot of the schemes are pretty gimmicky. We're going to try to gamble for every steal. We're going to try to go so hard for the offensive rebounds. And we're going to double-team the ball all the time. and It's like, it just didn't feel sustainable, Like especially when you came up against like more serious teams, especially when you came into crunch time where it's like, okay, maybe that little like scramble defense works in the first couple quarters, but down the stretch in the fourth quarter when teams are really locked in, focused, and they've seen it for three quarters, they're like, okay, we can pick this apart. And then the Raptors didn't have any sort of half-court offense other than sort of standard pick-and-roll or even isolation to fall back on. Now it feels like, okay, yes, it's, you know, we're going to take away some of the benefits of that, but we're going to play more solid overall. Um, And, you know, I think it's just a more, like, Optimistic approach long term. I think it'll just create for better results. And,
1: and uh, hey, if you can if you can thread this needle of you're more solid defensively, you're you're forcing fewer turnovers, but you're still able to run because yeah, right. you shore up the rebounding and, and you have guys who are such good transition players. Um, again, it's a needle to thread. It's not. We saw against San Antonio how bad the offense can look when the transition game dries up. And that was a half of basketball none of us need to see ever again. Oh, yeah. Um, but you, so you see that, you know, if you're losing the possession battle and you're you're not able to get, like, a team does a really good job in transition defense, that can dry up. But for the most part, so far, the Raptors have been able to uh, to manage both of those things.
0: All right, last one before we go to break. So we're talking about how great the Raptors are playing on defense. OJ um, Obi yeah. is standing up above the rest. Uh, and you have here... OG Anobi is a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Yeah. So walk me through this.
1: Yeah, I mean, last year he finally got the nod as All-Defense. Mm-hmm. and Only you know, second team, though. Yeah. You know. He also, look, I have advocated for OG to be All-Defense for years. I thought the year that, you know, Matisse Thybul was getting on there with fewer minutes and OG was getting dinged for playing time was silly. I thought the year that OG got dinged because, yeah. well, they have so many good defenders on that team and then like eight Celtics. Make all defense. Yeah, uh, I didn't love that. Now last By the year, way, it's funny
0: when OG did the interview uh, with us on uh, Media Day, he actually brought up those exact points. Did he? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, well, he's like, other teams got multiple guys, Philadelphia yeah. and Boston.
1: Yeah, OG had that athletic subscription. <laughs> I, <laughs> guess.
0: Uh, um, I know you guys are boys; it's all good.
1: Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, the yeah OG got all defense last year. Finally, and a large part of that was he just played enough.
0: Sure. Yeah. We for also sure, for know sure. that
1: defensive reputation tends to lag behind your actual performance a little bit. Not for Evan Mobley. No, not for Evan Mobley, <laughs> but for most Sorry. guys, it lags a little bit. It, it, <laughs> uh-huh. it lags a little bit on your way up, and then it lags a little bit on your way down too. Like, okay, like yeah. people were still voting for Avery Bradley for all defense when he wasn't even in the league anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, it takes a little bit for the reputation sure. to to die off. Now, um, the other thing that had cost OG in prior years, uh, certainly last year. Uh, and maybe why he didn't get all defense first team is you got to be on a really good defense yeah, to yeah, get sure. on defensive player of the year ballots. So they were 14th in overall defense last year. I thought OG statistically was the most versatile defender position wise. He was obviously a very good individual defender. Um, he was third in defensive uh, EPM, which is kind of my preferred catch all for okay. on off metric. Uh, you can find that at dunks and threes. I thought
0: you were going to say you could find that on the slob wizard segment tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Uh, Maybe I'll sneak that in. You should. Um, Anyway, we know he has a huge impact. We know he's super versatile. And now he is being challenged to guard one-on-one with less aggressive help more. Uh-huh. And he's doing that on a even better defensive team. Um, the Raptors don't do this without Jakob, without Scotty really engaging with this, you know, being the low man role, without Pascal being able to man the top and, and handle guards so that you can make that trade-off. But this all flows. And the reason you're comfortable getting more conservative and, and doing these changes is because you can trust OG against... Any player in the league, yep. Victor Wembanyama, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Anthony Edwards, Giannis and Dame, whatever. Yep. And it's not going to be perfect. He, those uh, Good offense beats good defense most of the time, but you have a guy who you can roll out against any of those. And I think, if the, Ra- I think the Raptors have the potential to be a top five defense. And if they're that, OG is going to find his way to some defense player of the year uh,
0: ballots. There you go. Well, um, I know we covered a lot of these points, but seriously, it's a really great piece. You also wrote a less optimistic one about the Raptors offense. So yeah. you should read the other side, too. Like that, obviously, that
1: one was before the, the Spurs game where the first half was all the things
0: that I had warned yeah.
1: about. And then the second half was like, okay, well, what if Scotty just takes over?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is Which the, was one of the points. The, it's, the, it's the point of the whole season is uh, what if Scotty just takes over and saves us all uh, like he did yesterday. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will talk a little Scotty.
2: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, Radio Network, I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to join by co-host Blake Murphy. So, as we teased before the break, I uh, wanted to talk a little about about Scotty Barnes because, I mean, it feels like everybody's talking about Scotty Barnes. It's like all of a sudden if you play Wemby and you outshine Wemby, all of a sudden people tune in. And they're like, whoa, hold on. What's going on with the Scotty Barnes person? He's on every podcast, every single basketball podcast I'm listening to. They talked about it. Um, and, you know, I was looking on ESPN today and uh, there was a piece up on ESPN. Uh, sort of about um, just, you know, where Scotty would rank. Scotty Barnes. Yeah, there's that's my guy. Uh, the where Scottie Barnes would rank in the uh, top 25, under 25. This piece is up on ESPN, I believe, ESPN Plus. Uh, spoiler alert: Scotty is fifteenth. Yeah, here are the people you need to be mad
1: at. By the way, this okay. was this was uh, voted on by Tim Bontemps, oh. Bobby Marks, so two friends of the show, oh. uh, Kevin Pelton, and Andre Snelling's. So those are the mm. four people you need to. We don't have their individual ballots, but if Scotty's too low to you, uh, you're probably, probably going to be mad about Elper and Shangun being too low as well. Um, that's who you're. Hey, that's man. who you're after, though.
0: I, I, I do love those passing centers. No, I'm, I'm happy for Shangoon that he got onto the list here at 25. Uh, but yeah, okay. So Scotty at 15. I mean, look, listen. Obviously, at the start of the season, I mean, if you told me Scotty at 15, I believe that'd be 15th best in the pl- player in the league right now. That's how he's operating and playing at that level. But obviously, like you know, we're taking into account the three years that he's had to his career today. And of course, under 25 is a difficult cutoff. Like you know, when you scroll down this list, you're like, oh yeah, Luca's still under 25. Yeah. Like I think this this I think Jason Tatum might have just graduated this list. <laughs> Uh, but like Anthony Edwards and guys like that are on here, whatever, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, so some of the guys that stood out to me, Blake, and I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, okay, Evan Mobley at 12. Three spots higher. Your and, thoughts.
1: Yeah, so, so we're going we're gonna to center this around Scotty. I just, like who's re- re- higher or relatively, lower. Just relatively. Okay. Yeah. And just so we're clear, by the way, it, it's not immediately clear from the description. It says that they're doing this based on future potential, but also acknowledging right now. So it's like I guess a blend of now and later. Um okay. that's look, all
0: that's all of life, is that?
1: Yeah. Uh not to overreact to a small sample game, Scotty mm. Barnes should be higher than Evan Mobley. He okay. had a better rookie season. Yep. They both kind of had not bad sophomore years, but didn't quite see the the progression. Well, one that, of them was almost named defensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of them also uh yeah. plays next to Jared Allen and yes. we know what those on offs and yeah. the the wowies look like. Um and I just think that Scotty's flashed a like a much higher ceiling as a scorer right now. And as much as I love defense and Mobley has really improved as a, as a playmaker and a kind of a secondary initiator for the Cavs guards to play off of, um, you know, I I'm more confident at this point saying Scotty's offensive upside is higher. And and then, you know, defensively, Scotty's not bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I, I think they should still be very, very close. Yeah. In the rankings, but I, I think I'd have Scotty ahead of him based on body work so far.
0: I guess the question I would ask in this case is do you see either of these guys becoming a number one option for an offense in their careers? Because I don't see any path for Evan to get to that point.
1: No, I, I think his probably upside offensive role is like a BAM style of role sure. where yeah, yeah. um you might even touch the ball the most, but you're not, you know, you're you're not handling for most of the play. It's just really hard for a non-Jokic big okay. to be the hub of an offense. So um obviously Sabonis does it and Jokic does it and then Bam is at this point further advanced in that regard than Mobley. But I think that's probably his his offensive upside, which is that of a number a really good number two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but yeah it's hard to see where the at least right now where the scoring load would come from. I, I just haven't seen quite enough self creation yet.
0: There's no self creation. I think that's the thing. I mean like it's it's always gonna be nice playing next to like um Mitchell and Garland, those guys are really creative guards and, um, you know, all that. But like, yeah, that also creates a lot of lobs for him to finish and everything like that. But I mean, yeah, I think Scotty has definitely shown. Like, look, listen, we, we say like there's only been seven games for Scotty this season. Scotty has shown more offensively in offensive the seven games this season than Evan Mobley has for his whole career. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even, that's not even trying to be slanderous. Um, okay, another point of reference on this list I want to get by you. Um, Kay Cunningham at six. So to, be, to put that into context, he's ahead of Zion at seven. Garland at eight, LaMelo at nine. LaMelo, by the way, is only like two months older than Scotty somehow. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, but Jaron Jackson at 10, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Tyrese
1: Maxey at 11. Yeah, my, my first thought when you name those guys is Maxey's too low. OK, Um. Okay. I, I think what we're seeing is real. He's he's yeah. going to be an offensive superstar. Um. You know, the defense is whatever. But we know I mean, that we know that offensive upside is what these ranking lists go off of, what sure. teams always go off of. I, I think he should be a little higher than this. No disrespect to Darius Garland. Um. But, you know, there Maxie has shown a, a higher upside than that at this point. And. I mean, LaMelo getting the numbers he gets in Charlotte, maybe he'd average like 20 assists on a real team. But uh, I I don't know how to extrapolate that context. Um, I'm okay with the Cade ranking. I think the Zion thing is is an injury question mark of like, if you're like, I think the idea for this is probably, you know, who would you start a team with if you wanted to win right now, but also long-term the injury question mark is just too real Mm. with Zion. Cade's off to a really, I, I know I'm kind of digging in here because I picked him as like, maybe not most improved, but the, like, most under-the-radar story and guy I want to see coming into this year. And, you know, he's already played as much this year as he did last year almost. Mm-hmm. And he's been terrific. He's averaging, like, 23-3-7. and seven. Right. Um, The three-point shot is coming along a little bit. So uh,
0: maybe this is me digging in, but I'm okay with the Cade ranking. Okay, that's fair. Um, okay, in terms of the others, so I guess I would ask in this way. Like, I think the validity of this list would be, especially from a Toronto perspective, would you trade Skydy for any of these players? Right. So for example, would you trade Scotty for Luka Doncic? Uh yes I would. Yeah. If would it's trade... straight
1: up and we're no, we're ignoring cap stuff and
0: things like that. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would I trade Scotty for Victor Wamanyamba, I would. Yeah. You know? But like I think some of these when you get further down on the list, I do have some of these questions for you. Uh would I you Scotty those... for Zion? Who's number seven on this list? Not to not, not to get all Will Simmons on this list, but why not? Yeah. <laughs>
1: is it how the raptors are currently constructed because the spacing issues are not going
0: to do Zion any more favors. That's Zion has a way of creating his own space by yeah. uh, bowling over people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the injury concern worries me too much. Like I agree. like you've yeah. got like
0: if things go well and he wants to stay, you've got like 12 years of Scotty. Yeah, you, and, also, and if I've, you asked me this summer, I might have said probably. Uh but having seen these seven games, I'm saying hard no. Also, I just like I don't I don't know how if he's going to hold up. Like I, he's sure, played yeah, no yeah. games. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he's played 114 games. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a no. You know what? It probably was a no. In the it's Definitely a no for me. Dog. Okay, thank you. Uh, would you trade it for John Morant? Number five on this list. Uh not right now. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: John Morant. You know Toronto has uh, Canada has different laws. Yeah, John that Morant. Might be relevant in John, this John case. Morant. Twelve months ago. Yeah, you're doing that. Uh, I don't know about. Okay. It right now, I'm I'm uh, abstaining from that one.
0: All right. Would you? Um. No, I think actually, honestly, I think I would probably hold on to Scotty. Okay. I, just, I mean, listen, it's there's two more years for Scotty to get to 24 where Ja is at right now. And based on how much he's rising right now, it's going to take a lot for me to leave and give it up right now. So probably not, no. Okay, let's do what I think is the hardest one on here. Okay, go ahead. Would you trade him for Maxi? I would love for them to play together, <laughs> but it is not the question. Yeah. Uh,. No, nah, probably not. No, okay, probably not. Um, let's let's
1: spin it this I way. I don't
0: think I don't think Philadelphia's doing that deal either. No. So and so, this is not like okay. That means that Scotty should be above Maxi. I don't really think so. But right now, probably not. No.
1: Um, is there anyone behind Scotty on the list that you think should be ignore? Who's ahead of him on the list? Mm. But is there anyone you looked at and you would like? You know what? I'd swap Scottio for that guy.
0: Uh. So. I mean it's like Franz Wagner at 16, Jalen Williams at seventeen. those are all like really, really high upside prospects for me yeah. Josh giddy at eighteen, Jalen Green at nineteen, but probably not no. worth worth
1: keeping in mind Wagner and giddy were guys they could have had in that spot yeah. at the draft right um, anyway so
0: exactly I, and I think for for Scotty's case, it's just there's a defensive impact that is much higher than those two other guys, mm-hmm. especially because it seems like Scotty's offensive jump right now has closed a gap. I mean I don't even think there was like I don't think Josh was like, like for example, I don't think Josh Giddy was like head and shoulders above Scotty offensively, even with last year's Scottie. Um, But right now, especially with the leap that he's taking offensively, no, I will, probably wouldn't take that, no. And yeah. Franz, I mean, Franz is a better shooter. There's no doubt, but I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah,
1: Franz is also not not probably, underwhelming probably not. this year, but he's having, you know, I, I picked him as most improved player. Yeah. Um, like the breakout, the whatever whatever we called it at Sportsnet.ca. But uh, yeah, he's just kind of been a slightly more refined version of last year's Franz, which is still a really good player, but... Uh I kind of thought coming out of FIBA he'd unlock a little bit more. I guess it's it's a little tough with him and Paolo being two spots apart, yeah, on this list too is you're trying to develop two guys simultaneously as potential offensive hubs, yeah, well, I mean, listen, Paolo will be an interesting one, yeah, one spot ahead of Scotty
0: I man, Paolo's offensive game is so like it's it's like a a little bit more refined I would say than Scotty's. Um, but I think Scotty is a better passer, and defensively, I think is ahead of him as well. So I'd probably say no to that either. And and that Paolo was defensive or was rookie of the year. And I guess we're running out of time. But my question was going to be um, based on the last three drafts, which players would you have taken Scotty um, over? Because there's a lot of good players that have come into the league. You know, just really quickly, Cade Mobley, Green, Giddy, Franz for 2021, Paolo, Chet, Jabari, um, Jalen Williams uh, from 2022, Wamby. and then 2023. Victor, uh, Brandon Miller, and uh, Scoot Henderson. But anyway, we are going to take a break. Uh, if you want to go be mad at this article, go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's easy content for everybody. But we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show and the Sportside Radio Network. When we come back, we may or may not have Dennis Schroeder, so we'll see.
3: Breaking down
2: the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host Wim Lou. Blake Murphy has jetted off for an exclusive interview that uh, we'll bring you later on this week. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm joined by the Offstrip Boys uh the olive garden boys because uh, you know you guys are doing both of those in vegas uh while you're also covering canada basketball which is something i really wanted to sort of touch on throughout the season checking on all the canadians keeping up with the canadians so to speak and uh yeah joining me are two guests lee ban Osman of the toronto star and oran weisfeld of the guardian what, what's up boys how you guys doing what's up man
2: chilling man how you been
0: yeah Yeah, nice. Very soft-spoken, even though Alex told you guys to speak into the microphones. It's all good. It's all good. So, listen, you guys both uh, do a really great job of covering Canada basketball and keeping abreast of sort of what the Canadians are doing across the league. Um, And so I kind of wanted to just sort of check in with you guys, maybe even once a month, just about, like, you know, how the guys are doing. You know, who's going to make that 12-man roster when we get to Paris 2024? You know what I mean? Like, I think that we know some guys that are definitely going to be on it um and we'll start there in terms of the world cup heroes and i think for me when i think about the world cup there are two heroes i mean above all else really i don't want to disrespect the other guys but above all else shay gilgis alexander and dylan brooks um how's shay doing on the season we'll start with you why actually whoever wants to start go ahead
4: yeah i mean he pretty much picked up where he left off at the world cup right he did have a little injury that kept him out of that uh one or two games, but for the most part, he's he's just being Shea. 25 points, seven rebounds, six and a half assists. Um, the one thing that like hasn't translated, I guess you could say, is like the three-point shot. Because he okay. shot the ball really, really well in the World Cup. And maybe that's a thing, different ball, like a uh, smaller three-point line. And, and he shot it at 30% so far this season. But... The more important part is that the Thunder are winning games. Mm. And he's obviously, like, at the, at the charge of that. And that's where it's, like, interesting me. I feel like the Thunder were one of those teams that, like, nobody had a good idea on. Like, they were one of the most talked-about teams coming into this season. Some people were like, they're a top-four seed in the West. Some people were like, whoa, like, hold the brakes. They're still, like, in that play-in range. So far, they've been really, really good. Like, and Chet Holgrim, Holgrim is obviously a big part of that. Um, Jalen Williams is obviously a big part of that. But Shea is that guy for me that I've always looked at as like, okay, how come the Thunder, like, so young, shouldn't be, like, this mature, this steady on a night-to-night basis, play for each other this much? And they do, and it's like it has to go back to the leader. And then you also saw it this summer, just his ability to lead a group, bring guys together. I think that's the most impressive part about Shea and just – the way he's been able to make this Thunder team take a step each and every season is really impressive.
2: Yeah, you call me crazy. I took Shea ahead of Joel and beat in fantasy this year, <clears throat> just because I'm like, after watching what he Bro, did in the World you know, Cup. I was but you like, know, Nickner's gonna play Joel and beat 42 minutes. <laughs> I life. know, but I was just like, I didn't want to risk the injuries. Baby Joel gets injured, okay. but yeah, yeah. um Shea, I'm not like he's by far like I, I think he's. I was having this debate with people. I'm like, I think him and Luke are discussion to me. That's that's where I see Shea in terms of right. players in this league. So, um, yeah, and I'm not worried about the shot too much. Like it's been like six games in the season. The steals like he's I think he's amongst the top in the league at that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's Shay's the best Canadian basketball player in the world. So, yeah,
0: quite possibly ever. I know we had the, the yeah. discussion in the summertime too. I think obviously Steve Nash got the two MVPs, and I don't think anyone's ever gonna be able to to match up with that aspect. You don't know, maybe. But you know what? He he is that level. Yeah. Um, okay, so Dylan Brooks. Um, I know I've already mentioned this on the show, but it still blows my mind. His shooting percentage right now for Dylan Brooks, 74%. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think averaging around 17 a game, playing great defense as always. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the Houston Rockets more competitive than previously. I mean, not hard to do that. But, I mean, still, a large part because of him, uh, because of Fred also
2: joining the team. But, I mean, I think Dylan is, like, really, really
0: carried over the momentum from the summertime.
2: I was going to say, like, the, the shot to me is, like, like like I think a lot of people, too, like, uh, you, see, you hear Giannis, you hear Jokic talk about how the World Cup playing and that helped them, that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can watch Dylan Brooks, it's clearly translated. Right, And right. if, um, I don't know if you heard about the meme of that, the girl saying, I'm sick to my stomach. Like, if I'm the mm. Memphis Grizzlies, like, oh, yeah. and the way they just, they, they threw him under the bus. Now they're, what, 1-6 to start the season. Mm. They scapegoated him for talking trash to LeBron James, like, like, you want that type of guy on your roster that will uh, get people pissed off at you and you, you like people to rally around, you know? So if I'm I'm, I'm sick to my stomach that I'm, Dylan Brooks is having a career here probably, so.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a bad look for Memphis, right? Because the whole kind of thing about Brooks was like, he can't play this role that we're asking him to play. He's a chucker. He's not fitting into his system. And then he goes, does what he does with Canada where he really started that tournament just like, shooting open threes and, and passing yeah. and playing defense and as the tournament went on he picked up the scoring duties just because it wasn't necessary and now in houston like he's playing a role he's taking like those long twos out of out of like his game for the most part he's taking good shots as you mentioned the, the efficiency is way up the points are up so i i think like in that way and it's been written about but like he's kind of rewritten the the narrative on his career right because people saw him as this guy who wasn't like a team player who couldn't fit into a role couldn't play like with stars mm-hmm. in a system and now canada and now with houston he's just kind of proving that like no something in memphis was off like it right, wasn't necessarily right. him like he wasn't he the problem and exactly. there was
2: injuries on memphis john moran situation like and they scapegoated the guy that was talking trash yeah and, like bro a man was bringing like guns
0: constantly <laughs> to the game but they were like no it's dylan for Doing this, yeah, yeah, and I
4: don't want to be biased because he was a problem in in Memphis, right? Sure, sure. Like there were games you would watch where you'd be like, and don't take those shots," course, or yeah. like you're you're getting two flagrant ones and and you're out of yeah, the yeah, game. Yeah. Like yeah. he he, but he's cut that stuff out, like with the exception of the one game in the World Cup where he he got tossed, but Luca also though. got tossed. Yeah, love, so it was the on boxing supply. gloves
2: afterwards. Like mm. that's like you want that that type of guy, and, and yeah. just like um when when you look at just um if I'm the Raptors. I'm advertising any free agent like he credited the Noah Analytics yeah, helping a yeah. shot. If I'm the Raptors and I'm c- talking to free agents, I'm like, "Hey, come work out at a gym first before you test free agency. Come yeah. work out at a gym and then sign with us."
4: Mm. No, it was the hometown, the touch, the hometown food. That's what that's what got him. That's what got him shooting the ball. Is the poutines that uh, yeah. Levan has every day at yeah. the arena without <laughs> without fail? If
2: if if people had that, they'd be they'd love it. Oh, <laughs> they'd the, be playing. They'd be averaging thirty and ten. Eh? I do that. Yeah. This, this guy, this guy, shilling for the poutinery yeah. at
0: uh, the 300 level, right? Hey, it's top two in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. It's not. and it's not two for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, seriously. That the the it's really cool hearing Dylan talk about because like the Raptors aren't the only team that have like no analytics tracking in their building. I think like more than half the league has it now, but it's such a prominent thing. Like they have TVs, obviously they have the huge video background um, at OVO, but they also have TVs underneath individual baskets as well, and they're always sort of tracking these things and. One of those things Dylan keeps talking about is those, like he just noticed the arc on his shot was really low. Mm. So he always thinks about how to get that arc to the right point, which is sort of what the the board would typically track. And if that actually made such a big change for him, like, congrats to him. Because we've never seen a man go from the 40s in the true shooting to the 70s in the true shooting. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing. Okay, um, RJ Barrett, honestly, I liked this game last night. Mm. Um, played well against the Clippers. Um, but he's always sort of like the third option at best. Uh, with the Knicks, kind of had an up-and-down World Cup as well for for, for Canada. But how's RJ doing?
4: Really good. He's shooting the ball well, which has kind of been the biggest thing with him. He's up above 40% to start the season from three. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing with RJ is if the shot's falling, then he's like this really good role player. And if it's not falling, then he kind of straddles the line between okay and good. Um but like you said like to me the situation he's in we, we talk about these Canadians right we just mentioned Dylan Brooks now in in Houston pretty great situation for him he has a lot of freedom he's a veteran there Shea Gilgeous-Alexander obviously great situation like, you know Jamal Murray great situation I look at RJ's situation and I'm like maybe I'm biased but like watching playing with Randall and Brunson doesn't look fun to me <laughs> It's just like they only with play all iso. Res- they only play only iso, iso. and fair. like people really are like, man, like, Brunson's the only good thing for that team right now. But even watching Brunson, yeah, he's making shots, but it's like he misses a lot of passes, and he takes mm. a lot of tough floaters. And I'm just like, where is that room for RJ to, like, take the next step in terms of, like, a, a creator? It doesn't seem like the Knicks, like, have that room. Mm. So that's something to watch out for. But, uh, yeah, to start the year, he's been good. Yeah, youngest Nick
2: to reach, what, uh, 5,000 career points. And then I think that's he's the third Canadian to do that, like, youngest shade in rear. Hmm. We're both younger than him to do yeah. that, but like that's like you could. I think just playing in FIBA and he's dealing with some. I think knee issues. Like just just playing basketball so much. Okay, but he's like being being in that competitive environment basically for twelve months straight. It's like you can just see the translation. He's shooting the ball at a career high, and what he got twenty six on what sixteen shots. Like, yeah, hey, maybe, and I I think he's a candidate for most improved player. So okay. I, I'd watch for that. That's a, that's a little optimistic in that
0: in that offense. But I, I hear you. I hear you. It, it would require Brunson to, to to make some more passes or Julius Randle to, you know, not be Julius Randle. Uh by the way, Julius Randle had a good game yesterday that I still felt like it was a bad game. <laughs> he is one of those players. Um now the funniest thing with um with with that is like I think that's the same pr- problem Brunson had with team USA. He just yeah. kept playing by himself in a
4: team full of stars and he really struggled in that World Cup run can i say something on that though that's like what's been interesting to watch is there's been some talk about how the team usa guys didn't have like great starts in the nba this season but all the guys we just mentioned like all the and we're going to talk about like Nikhil alexander walker lou Dort, like all these guys are having really really good starts Mm -hmm. who played team canada for the world cup that's traditionally what you see like guys go overseas they stay in shape they stay game ready and then they come to the nba season they're a bit ahead of like the rest of the competition but i wonder why that's happening for the Canadian guys and not the U.S. guys. It might just be as simple as, like, they had success. They had a better time there mm. and whatnot. But I also think about, like, they played a role for a team that won. Right. And now they go to the NBA and they have to play a role for a team that won. Whereas the USA guys played a lot of selfish basketball for a team that lost. Mm. And I just don't know, like, you know, like, um, the the guy in the Lakers. Um, Reeves. Austin, Austin Reeves. Austin, Austin Reeves. Reeves, like. They're just not having success, and I'm just like, I just thought of that now, but it's kind of interesting to contrast the Canada versus USA guys.
0: Mm. Mm. All right. Uh,
4: so the next on the list, I, I have
0: four guys that, you know, there were more of the role players, I would say, for Team Canada, at least in the from the NBA perspective, but Nikhil Kelly, Dwight Powell, Lou Dort. I feel like we don't need a Dwight Powell update. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm just going to skip that. I'm sorry. It's not it's really respectful cool. You know fair. what? Listen, right. man, finally somebody's taking a starting spot, um, you know, at least occasionally, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know. Um, Derek Lively has been pretty nice for Dallas. I mean, we'll see Dwight either way uh, against the Raptors tomorrow. Um, Kelly, I'm just going to assume Kelly's kind of doing his thing he's in doing Utah. He's doing
5: his
2: thing. Yeah. Not, not, not too eye-popping, but he's doing his thing. Yeah, that's his whole career. <laughs>
0: so do you guys want to talk about uh, Nikhil and Lou? Maybe you guys each take one.
4: Yeah, I'll go Nikhil if I can. Sure. Um Because I'm, I'm going to write a story about him. And, I mean, I I just think, The interesting thing is he bounced around the league so much. He had like five different coaching staffs in his first like three years. And he's finally for the first time at a place where like he has some security and he has a role Mm. with this Minnesota team. And it's just really nice to see. It goes to just show that like, it's not just about talent. It's about the fit. It's about having the opportunity to make some mistakes for a coach that trusts you. You know, we see that stuff with the Raptors too, with some of these bench guys maybe. But um, Yeah, I was talking to Akil, and, like, one thing he said, because he's just, like, one of those guys who wants to be, like, the best. Like, he compares himself to the the very best, and he has that kind of confidence. And he was saying, like, when he got to the league, he tried to get everything all at once, rather than, like, taking incremental steps and, like, trusting the process. And that really, like, hurt him, just, like, trying to go for everything at once and, and trying to, like, be that guy right away. And now you see how he broke into the league. It's with defense. Like, it's with knocking down open threes. And so I think it's a really good lesson for a lot of, like, young players to learn, young Canadians to learn. He's a good example to follow because he bounced around, but, like, he learned to do the things that's going to get him on an NBA court, and then he can go from there and eventually, like, expand his offensive game. But, yeah, like, he plays a really big role on this Minnesota team, and it's a really good team. I don't know if you guys saw the Celtics game last Mm -hmm. night, but, like, I think this is a team that could make real noise.
2: Yeah, and just the kill. Touch on the kill. I think it's really, like, Leonard Miller, Canadian, 19-year-old. Mm. I think he's so lucky to have a guy like, mm-hmm. like Nikhil, to be in the league with him, he's just straight off coming from the G League to learn how the ins and the outs of the NBA and have a guy like that that can teach him, like, hey, this is where I went wrong with stuff, you know? And this is stuff that you should kind of shy away from or whatever it is, you know? So, um, coming into that, Leonard's not going to play much this year, but um, being able to have a guy like Nikhil, also from Scarborough, same area, those guys, they played together together in the you call it the Toronto Pro-Am Summer League. This, they've been together for a while, so okay. um, they've been yeah. So it's it's cool to see that they have that type of relationship.
0: No, it's dope. Honestly, if you if you were really really dedicated to like if you really wanted to watch a lot of these Canadian NBA players play, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities locally in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, shouts to uh, shouts to seeing the next guy at the Pro-Am because Shaden uh, Shaden Sharp uh, wasn't on the Canada team that played uh, in Asia this summer for bronze, but uh, has already expressed that he's willing to to join mm. for the Olympics. I kind of assume that that's the case for pretty much all of these guys. But, uh, I mean, Shaden Sharp, is he making a jump
2: right now? He is. I'll be honest. The Canadian basketball thing about, he kind of, I asked him about it when he came to Toronto. He kind of okay. dialed back on it a bit. He said he's going to evaluate at the end of the season, or like, what that looks like for him. You told me it was a pump fake? I, I think it was, but, like, oh, I don't know. That's what okay. he told me specifically he's going to evaluate at the end of the season, like, what's that's going to look like, but... Um, I, I think at the end of it, it's going to be Canada basketball's decision if they want to bring sure. okay. in. Like, there's there's a lot of options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, right. they're, they're going to decide if he wants to go. But if well, I don't even know if he'll get minutes. That's, and that's no disrespect to him. But the thing, too, is I think a guy like Shaden could be on the roster and he'll accept the bench role. That's, you yeah. watched him in Portland what he just did this past year. He was, like, last year, he was okay with coming off the bench. The season he started off the mm-hmm. bench with Scoot Henderson as a rookie coming in, despite him having an amazing yeah. season to close off. He was cool with Scoot Henderson, Simons, uh, Grant all starting ahead of him. And now that Simons was out, Scoot was also missing a couple games. He stepped in and now he's looking like the best player in Portland, yeah. So, which is crazy to think about. And I credit... Um, I asked him about this because uh, he's one of the rare guys that has his personal trainer travel with him mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay. His personal trainer's name is Francis. Francis is a guy that Shea also got his work ethic from. This guy is like okay. an OG, I would say, in like Canadian basketball scene. Um, he'd go out... like. Basically, Shea would work out 6 a.m., go to practice at 8 a.m., lunchtime, do training, like film session, whatever it is, practice 3 p.m., and then back at the YMCA, 8 p.m. So this guy is with him. So imagine, like, most guys, like if you think of, like, NBA guys, they don't have their trainer with them in the season, traveling with them on the road. This guy is with shit in twenty four seven. Lives with him in Portland, and on the road, they're on they're all the time. They're like at the gym when they're in Toronto. They're gonna be at the gym at one p.m. and then they'll come to the facility back at three p.m. before the game. So it's like they're, yeah. he's with this guy twenty four seven, and I'm not surprised that he's having a breakout mm. year. I think that's really interesting because he did miss like like I missed some developmental opportunity, let's say,
0: in, in Kentucky because he barely
2: even, did he even play. I don't think he's he supposed at all. to be yeah. this. He's supposed to be uh, in the same class as Victor Womanyaba and school Henderson. He was the number one prospect Ooh. in 2022. Ooh. People forget that because yeah. he, he skipped yeah. out, left Kentucky early, right, which right. I think was the smartest decision for him. But people
4: forget that he was the number one prospect in 2022, which is crazy. Yeah, and again, talking about, like, situation, he has a great situation because, like, he has the ball in his hand in Portland. They're not trying to win. Like, obviously, you want to eventually be on a winning team with some vets and all that stuff, but, like, for Shaden's game, the specific type of player he is, like, he's a guy who needs to, like, take shots. He's a guy who needs to have the ball in his hand to learn the reads. And, like, just to, like, play with a certain level of freedom because I feel like, he, like, we've seen, like, he can go for 30 on any given night, but you can only go for 30 if you have, like, the freedom to go for 30. Mm-hmm. And it, it's nice to see that, like, he has this role in Portland where, like you said, he's probably going to emerge as the best player on that team by the end of this season. And um, that that is because, like, in large part he he finally is like showing what he can do with this team that just doesn't have a lot of guys who who are taking those those opportunities. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like the Canada basketball stuff, it's interesting because I would have said at the beginning of the season, like I agree, like he wouldn't get minutes on that team that played last summer based on what we had seen from him in Portland. Yeah. But now I'm like definitely starting to question that just based on what he's doing, the, the, the shooting leap he's taken. Mm-hmm. Um he falls in like a weird group with Andrew Nemhard, Benedict Matherin, of guys who weren't around when they had the summer core. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like he said, no, I'm not going to play, but it's also not like he committed to those three-year it windows. It kind of
0: wasn't his turn. Like, he's the next yeah. generation. Like, yeah. as soon as this run is over, I think you'll probably see his name consistently on there all the time.
2: For sure. But I, I personally, I'm looking at Canada Basketball's roster and just the problems we had at the FIBA World Cup. I thought yeah. there was a lack of guard depth. Um, yeah there was obviously there was, Jamal sure. Murray you're gonna add him if he's healthy he's gonna be in that but off the bench I would want a guy like with Nikhil I would want Nemhard running it and I think like you mentioned like he couldn't he, he, he's been around Canada basketball but he couldn't play because the summer league NBA draft process but I would want a guy like Nemhard, Shaden and Nikhil as the guard depth behind mm-hmm. the guys like Jamal Murray and Shea so I'd be looking at those guys and be like hey you know what and, and, and what we talked about the three-year commitment. To me, it went out the window when the Nurse left. Like, he, he was the Ooh. one that kind of, like, brought it right, all together, right, right? right? So, if you want to throw this out the window, this is the perfect opportunity.
4: Yeah, I don't know if we have time to have this conversation, but it's interesting. The thing, the problem, I think, that Canada basketball would say, if you do that, and if you let guys like Andrew Nemhard and Shaden Sharp take minutes from, like, a Lou Dort, for example. Because, realistically, that's what we're talking about. Like, yeah, mostly. Like, not all those guards can play at the same time. I, I feel like that just dissuades that kind of commitment. Lou was there for the last two summers, right? Whereas those guys weren't. So I think that's where they get into these kind of issues. But it'll be really interesting to see who they ultimately pick on that 12-man roster and and who they take. But like you said, like those guys are going to play prominent roles in the 2027 World Cup, 2028 Olympics. Like That's their real time. Um, the only way they play next summer is if like they take a real leap this season in the NBA and Canada basketball is like, okay, this guy is just too. He's untimable. undeniable. Yeah, yeah Leave he's undeniable. The roster.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But
2: also you have guys like Zach Eadie's not going to play next year, 100%, because right. he's going to be going through the draft process. Yeah. Mm. So this roster opens, to me, it's just like you got to figure out the guard depth issue and you got to figure out the forward situation. Just like who's going to guard a Jokic? Who's going to guard a Giannis? Uh, who's going to guard a Embiid we, in USA basketball? We need a, oh, we're going to need Kelly and Dwight now. <laughs> oh, we, we
4: need <laughs> some steroids. Yeah. Uh,
0: we're, I got one more in me. That's, that's what these guys are going to be saying in terms of tournament runs like a Vince Carter uh, in the Hawks era. Okay, I mean, look, listen, we're going to skip Jamal uh, Murray and Andrew Wiggins, mostly because, like, we already know what these guys are already doing. Like, obviously, if they're healthy and available to play and willing to play for Team Canada this summer, I take them on the team, no questions asked. You know what I mean? And that's where I think you get to that spot where it's like, man, where do you even find spots for Shaden if you already have? Like, first off, who do you even start between all those guys, right? Because for me, like, maybe in the past, you'd say, well, yeah, we just, you know, ax Dylan. You know, bring Dylan off the bench. I'm not bringing uh, Dylan can. Brooks off the bench. he did this summer. I definitely know not he's starting for me. Shea's starting for me. Uh, and then, yeah, you got to start Jamal and, and, and Andrew Wiggins, but that leaves out RJ Barrett,
2: unless you want to start with no center on the floor, which is not advisable for FIBA play. This is a good problem to have, though. Bro, the this fact, is a great like, problem. Like, we're going to be in 2028 where we're going to be probably cutting NBA starters. Okay? Yes. That's what I see. Like, 100%. it's going to be
4: that. Like, that's the top level of talent that we're going to have in in Canada, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. I think we already are to an extent. Uh-huh. Like you already saw what happened with like Brissette and, and Kojo not playing yeah. in this window, and, I wonder, yeah. and and like the guys we're talking about, like Andrew Nembhard and Shinjiro, like these guys are gonna realize that a, a lot of them don't have like the opportunity. They're not gonna get the minutes, and and so it might we might not, we might not call it cutting them. Yeah, you know it might be like. These guys they don't. <laughs> they don't got, They don't want to play a, a tiny role where it, they're they're just like sitting on the bench, and that's totally fair. But I think, not saying that's happened, but I think that's what's already going to start to happen soon because there aren't minutes for all these NBA players. Dude. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: speaking of the next generation, that's going to come in and make it even more crowded. Um, want we'll to leave time here to talk with Andrew Namhard, Benedict Mathurin, uh, Olivier Maxence Prosper, your boy your guy, because I know that's your guy now. Leonard Miller, that's your guy as well. Um, let's let's start with the Pacers first. Uh, those two guys, you know, obviously playing pretty significant roles for them. Andrew just continues to impress me like constantly. Um, he's really played a lot of great defense. Even last year, I think, um, you know, Rick really trusted him to play defense. Not a lot of defense played overall in Indiana, by the way. I've seen him give up 150 uh, last week to, to Boston, for example. But at the same time, they also have the ability to score 150. Uh, but Andrew is like, one of their best two-way players, you know, already has had huge games, hit that game-winner over LeBron, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, what have you guys seen from uh, from Andrew and also uh, Matherin as well?
4: Yeah, well, like, kind of interesting because they took Nemhard out of the starting lineup, put Matherin in, right? So that is, you know, you look at where they were drafted. One of them's a lottery pick. One of them's a second-round pick. It makes sense. But at the same time, Nemhard is, like, undeniable, and, and it's hard for them to take him off the floor. And so he keeps closing games, even if, like, they're not necessarily starting. So I hate to, like, pit these two Canadian ballers against each other. No, but, but they're that's, literally
0: contending on the same team. That's yeah. kind
4: of what's happening in Indiana right now. And um, it's really the defense, like you said. I, I mean, it's a decision-making, too. Like, a- Andrew Nemhart is, is a point guard. He's a better decision-maker at this point in his career than, than Matherin is. But I think the biggest thing is the defense. Like, he is just so impressive. Um, he was one of, like, the leading charge-takers last year and wow, i think that's a rookie. Just, yeah, yeah, it just shows like the instincts he has. He he reads the game, he sees it developing. Um he can defend up really really well. Like guys just can't post him up that easily. And, and then, they kind of need him to in Indiana cuz they don't have that big wing to do some of that stuff, right. right? And then they and then he's like one of the best point of attack defenders in the NBA already. And i feel like usually with point of attack guys it, it takes some years to like learn the tendencies of opponents. Like he came into the league and he was already elite at that. So Honestly, like, one of the better defenders Canada has produced in a really long time, and I'm excited to see just the way he grows in this season. Yeah, that's four years of college for you. Like, he, he came in ready, and
2: I think right. if, if he was available when the Raptors were picking eight, Bro, that mm-hmm. that'd be very... I'd wonder, because he worked out here, and that'd, that'd be interesting. For me, when it comes to Ben, though, I still yeah. think he's obviously yeah. trying to figure out his game. The shot efficiency isn't, isn't quite there yet. The defense isn't quite there yet. Um... But yeah, Nemhard to me, like if, I, if I'm picking one of these guys to come to, to play for Canada basketball, I think Nemhard will accept the role off the bench. He will mm. accept a guy that's there not to look for his own shot. He'll look the others going and, and 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 that kind of stuff. So he's more to me, right. he's more of a fit, and I think Canada basketball loves. I think they're gonna love all these guys, but I think Nemhard specifically, he he'll contribute a lot. Yeah, people forget
0: Nemhard was on the um, the World Cup squad that yep. went to play in China. Uh, this was 2019. Yeah and he was like 18 years old yeah and actually getting minutes mm-hmm. like not even like okay it's uh we were down bad back yeah then. <laughs> that team wasn't very good or joseph cambert <laughs> was leading good. us to the, the victory yeah. you know what you know no offense to those guys I, I salute to them for <laughs> participating sorry no but like seriously like nebhardt is getting minutes on that team as an 18 year old playing in three point guard lineups mm-hmm. and so to see the progression that he's made here it's not that much of a surprise considering he's already come from a really stru- uh, strong background but no, he he's awesome, man. I mean, yeah, to your point, the Raptors I think had the thirty third pick. That's where Christian Coloco went, and he went thirty first
4: yeah.
0: to yeah. Indiana. And uh, damn,
4: man, that that would have been helpful. Close. Although Coloco has been really good for the Raptors, no, I, and I'm he's sure. injured yeah. right now, and, and that sucks. But I do feel like when he gets back, he's going to really help this team. But um, I will just real quick plug something that like I wrote for Sportsnet because his brother Ryan Nemhard just transferred to Gonzaga from Creighton, followed in Andrew's pretty much exact footsteps after two years of college going to gonzaga so he's definitely someone a canadian to watch for in the ncaa this tournament he he really improved in his sophomore year at creighton and now he's obviously with a big gonzaga program with with high hopes so watch out for him he's probably going to play four years of college but after that i mean similar kind of undersized point guard really smart like his brother so he's another canadian that we could see coming into the league around 2025 bro more of a good problem all right we got uh
0: three minutes left here to talk about your two guys, Omax and Leonard Miller, Levan, you've run two great profiles about them over at the Toronto Stars. You always do taking the extra mile to cover the Canadian basketball players. Um, yeah, talking about Omax first and foremost.
2: Yeah, Omax. Um, he ride. He came out of the scene out of nowhere. I would say. Um, I was telling people in April, I think this guy's going to get drafted. Some people laughed at me, mm. and then he became the highest Canadian drafted. Mm. Um talk to at, them at the draft. So All right. um, I'll just say <laughs> for <L-Bad> him at <laughs> express. For him, he, he like showed out at the combine and then yeah. every team in the league wanted yeah. to work him out. And then um teams are considering him in the lottery and then he ended up going to Dallas. And mm-hmm. um yeah, right now it's still um I spoke to some of his people, he's still adjusting to like the NBA style play, the quickness, the like how, how different the, the style is, obviously from college to the sure. to the NBA and and for for him too is like he needs to uh, the three-point shot needs to get there. Like, it's still a work in progress. So it's still, like, he's... I think he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League, possibly. So it's not like he's a player that's going to right produce right away. But I think okay. um, they gave him some chances in preseason. Didn't look too great, but I, I think um, he's he's a guy that they see as, uh, that's going to be part of the future. So it's not like a rush. We're not going to... They're not rushing anything with Omax right now. Mm. Um, okay. Well, that's... I guess we won't probably see them again against
0: Dallas. I just looked it up and he's played one minute so far yeah. for Dallas this season. But Leonard, as you mentioned, say
2: Leonard. Leonard is the same case. Yeah. Okay. Um, his situation is kind of different with the draft because like um, he fell in the draft because like he he couldn't participate. Like it was like he, he suffered a back injury, um, and what I was told was like like teams in the lottery, multiple teams. We can we can we can guess what those teams are at late lottery were considering mm. him, Damn. but they decided not to right. because just like. Um, most teams couldn't even get him in the gym. He worked out for four teams. He had like twelve workouts. Yeah. So a lot of people consider him the steal of the draft dropping to 33. Yeah. Like that's to me. I didn't expect him to drop that low. I kind of have an inkling that he was going to drop. I didn't expect that low in Minnesota's like, but if you look at Minnesota's front court right now, who are you going to play him ahead of? You got Kyle Anderson, Nas Reed, you got He's McDaniels. Blocked. Gorbet like got cat like it's yeah. he's Even like Kyle Anderson yeah you know, so he's Chinese 19 legend. so like yeah. it's not no rush for him at all too he's just somebody that he's gonna spend a lot of time probably in the G League again um, but like I think by the end of the season he might get minutes to where they're like wow we have to play this guy Yo, potentially he,
0: he he was a standout for me from Summer League I remember yeah. like me and you sitting courtside right? watching um uh, watching some Minnesota games and yeah man he was I was surprised by how far he's come offensively
2: um. And, and the shot is so much better it's like yes, you watch it and yeah. it's like day and night from where it was a couple of years ago so, yeah
0: yeah so, damn late lottery huh you mean like the Raptors at 13 potentially
4: I, I'm not saying anything really wow <laughs> yeah like Levan express getting uh getting shy on the show <laughs> both of those guys though like you said like similar come-ups like almost out of nowhere with Leonard Miller right 40 like senior year he yeah. just explodes onto the scene so I feel like they're both like raw in that way they, they didn't like play a ton of high-level basketball growing up and and so it's gonna take some time but like you mentioned so crowded in Minnesota for Leonard Miller. But I think Omax... I think we could see him in the rotation by the end of the year in Dallas. Because mm. I, I really liked what I saw in Summer League. And you just look at Dallas's wing depth. It's really bad. Yeah. So... um yeah, I think, I think personally, I think I, he has a better chance of playing this season in the yeah. NBA. And Omax, too, like, he looks so polished defensively. And, like, summerly, mm. he absolutely, like, he was
2: killing guys. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he shut down that one guy, Jairus Walker from yeah. Indiana. Mm. And for me, it's like, he can guard, like, he, he'll be able to guard the guys that Luca doesn't want to guard. So, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: that's, uh, that's a lot of people. Luca doesn't want to play a lot of defense. But he is making a better effort this year. But anyway, we got to go to a break. Um, and say goodbye to the off-strip boys. So I appreciate both of you guys coming on. Before I go, i got to let you guys know that the senior women's national team are in Colombia this week uh, where they are set to play in the FIBA Olympic pre-qualifying tournament. Wow, there's got to be a better way of saying that. The FIBA Olympic pre-qualifying tournament against Colombia, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. The top two finishers will earn a trip to the FIBA Olympic qualifying (laughs) tournament. Damn, it is not easy. But uh, salute to the women for... Are showing up and uh, hopefully they get through. So we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show and the Sports Night Radio Network. When we come back, Dennis Schroeder is joining the show once again.
2: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. uh We will be joined shortly by Dennis Schroeder, Toronto Raptors point guard, uh, who will be joining us from after Raptors practice. So, yeah, sorry about the, uh, you know, bait and switch a little bit, you know, a bit of a chaotic day on the show. Uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, a couple segments planned, uh, but then practice took place and, you know, practice gets delayed, all this kind of stuff, blah, 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 whatever. Obviously, we're happy to accommodate... Uh, but i appreciate uh Blake Orn uh Lee Band for coming on to join us and of course our big guest Dennis Ruder uh down in uh practice uh in Dallas Dennis how you doing
3: I'm good man i'm good just uh finished practice uh and uh heading back to the hotel Are you are you on the team bus right now <laughs> I'm on the team bus right now yeah i uh Try to switch it up a little bit, you know. Here and
0: oh, okay. There. <laughs> no, I, I like this. I like this. I like this. I'm going to encourage any Raptors teammates to come in and interrupt uh, this uh, this interview. Well, listen. Um, so the last game we saw you guys was on Sunday, prime time worldwide, 132 countries tuning in to that big game. Uh, that took place between you guys and the San Antonio Spurs, and of course that comeback down 22 in the second half, coming back all the way. I'm just curious, because you guys only had thirty-five points at halftime and you guys look like you guys were really, really stuck in the, the mud there. What was the feeling like at halftime? Like were you guys like really determined to like come back? Was Darko yelling at you guys? Like what happened in the halftime?
3: I mean, everybody, of course, uh, was disappointed. Um, everybody had their, you know, heads down and um there was no communication until the coach came in and Coach uh, came in and said, "Listen, guys, like you guys got two options. Either you guys hang your heads and um, don't go out and uh, quit on everybody, you know, and um, uh, or you guys go out there and make sure, um, you know, you you, you um, dictate the game. Make sure um, we we play in defense. And I think that's what we did uh, in the second half." Uh, play defense, erupted uh disrupted their uh, offense and made sure we won off our you know defense and I think uh that was the biggest um take you know that coach came in and said listen guys like this game is not over if you guys want to fight you know we can um still make it
0: yeah well um the defense was great you guys definitely locked in. Um I think second half Wemby might have only had like four points. Um I'll ask you about Wemby in a second but Scotty Barnes kind of stole the spotlight, right? Like, Scotty in that fourth quarter, what he was doing, step-back threes, um, being one of the main drivers to, to get you guys back over the top. Um, I, I guess I'm curious, like, when, how much did you know about Scotty coming into joining this team? And then since joining this team, like, what are your impressions of him right now?
3: I mean, you know, playing against him uh, the last two years, um, I mean, you, you, can, you can tell. Like, he's a competitor. You want to win um really confident um because he putting the work in and he knows uh you know what he what he works on every single day um and now playing with him just um not being afraid of the moment uh embracing the moment um, and thinking uh, at ha- uh, not have time at uh the timeout uh coach was like <laughs> was like yeah but I can just step back through it you know and uh no nah, what hold on what because he, he he wanted him to go to the to the paint and he was like but I can't just step back three that one and was laughing kind of he said it to me and uh the next play he really did it and tied the game and uh, that shows me just that he is embracing you know every single moment uh, of it and i mean he's working you know he's working really hard um uh, he want to win he's a team player and uh we're really happy you know that we got him
0: Yo, his confidence is next level. If he's if he's saying that, so I, I love hearing that. Well, listen, um, I want to ask you too about so you guys coming back in that game. You guys having that belief. Um, you know, bit of a bad call at the, at the end of regulation. I thought you guys might have had that stolen from you. I thought that was not a foul on Pascal. Whatever you guys try to review it, all that kind of stuff. Um, over the course of this game, and I think Wemby had five blocks. And there was a couple of times I think OG tried to go one on one against him. Scotty tried to go one on one against him. Um, I didn't I didn't see you go one-on-one against him. Uh, and I know I asked you last week how you're going to get a shot off against him. But, yeah, what's your impression of playing against him, man?
3: I mean, first off, you know, he's um, uh, the future of the NBA probably. You know, um, I mean, just how long he is, uh, how he can dribble the ball, how he um, shoots it. You know, he got great touch defensively and offensively. He's just, you know, elite or can be elite so uh, for me, you know I didn't try to i shot i think two threes over him and airboarded because <laughs> I wasn't sure if he's blocking it or not uh yo can you see
0: the rim when you' when he's like contesting?
3: No really, that's <laughs> the reason why I airboarded I didn't know <laughs> um, that was kinda kind of funny, but um i mean you know he's he's a great player um but end of the day, you know we wanted to come in and get the w and uh, that's what we did.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, No, because I think there was one play where I think you were running a pick and roll with Yak, and OG was in the strong side corner, and Wemby was guarding OG. And Wemby, like most people do, they come over and they tag Yak on that roll, so they're trying to provide help off the corner. And I think you were like, oh, easy pass to OG in the corner. He's going to be open for three. And I think you delivered a really good pass to OG. OG caught it in the corner, and Wemby closed out and blocked it with, like, at least half his hand. Still, it's like, I I would say 99% of NBA players are wide open in that scenario. But with him, it's just not the case. It changes everything you guys have to do.
3: For sure. I mean, uh, I remember that play. And uh, I think Rambi was still, um, you know, in the paint um, while he was catching it. And, I mean, to make that play, that's the reason why I said on the defensive end, he is just uh, elite. He's just uh, elite um, and can impact, you know, the game on both ends of the floor. Um, And... I think that's what, you know, the superstars uh, do. And, um, they, you know, they, the two, uh, two man guys who can play on the defensive side and on the offensive side, Kawhi Leonard, you know, who've been here, uh, Paul George, you know, Bron, um, they win championship.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, your part in this game was also huge. Um, you know, you really took over in the third quarter, had a couple of drives to the basket in the fourth quarter as well. And I think, you know, I keep asking this question, but I, I wanted to know your thought process. Like, how did you know what times to go in the in the, in the second half there? Because it seemed like you were really able to get to the rim and, uh, you know, really was a big part of the offense in the second half and overtime.
3: Yeah, I just I try to be aggressive uh, at all times, but I still try to, you know, fill out the game. For mm. me, it's... Um, like even with the national team, you know, I'm, I'm not going into a game and say I'm going to shoot 20 shots or I'm going to say I'm going to shoot 15 shots. I just uh, take what the, game's, you know, the game brings to me. And sometimes that means I got to take more shots. And sometimes uh, it says I'm not taking no shots, you know. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, um, I'll just try to read the game and make sure um, everybody is in the same uh, or in the right spots. Uh, try to feed them. But um, sometimes I got to be aggressive too, and I think um, you know, in that game, uh, it was a lot of you know when Vembi was um, not on the court, uh, I took advantage, you know, just mm. um, going to the to the to the basket and uh, get them sneak drives.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're definitely very good at those drives, man. Uh, elite quickness, elite quickness. All right, Uh, and then the last question about that game, and I've noticed this a couple of times, what is this chain you guys are handing on after the game now? You know what I mean? Like, this post-game chain, I've seen it on Pascal, I've seen it on Scotty after the game in San Antonio. What is this chain, and sort of what's the story behind that?
3: Uh, That's the the, the play of the game chain. Um, Okay. Whoever, you know, like, uh, did hustle plays, whoever, you know, had a big shot, um or was like the you know the, the best player of the game, um, gets that chain. And uh, the first one was uh, Pascal Siakam. And then the second one was uh, uh, Scotty Barnes, of course. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a big award uh, for everybody. Everybody want to win it. So uh, we, you know, uh, go out there and give 110% to win the game.
0: No, we got to see you with the chain soon, all right? Because
3: uh... – Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. So, who, who's,
0: do you know whose idea was that? Like, was that Darko's idea? Was that one of the Vets' ideas? Like, where did that come from?
3: That came from Darko. Darko, okay. um, I had it last year as well, and i seen it all over. You know, everybody's doing it now. Denver does it. I think uh, I think Sacramento did, yep. uh, did it last year as well. So, it's a couple of teams are doing it. So, I think it's a great idea, and um, I'm glad we uh, did it now, too.
0: Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, – you know, in the Premier League, when they give you that little, like, block, that little triangle or that rectangular block for the, the man of the match? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's basically the yeah, Raptors' yeah. man
0: of the match. I like that. Well, listen, I want to talk about you as well um, as you navigate your way through the hotel. What's going on? Um, but, yeah, I mean, so for you um, joining the team, I mean, we, we keep tracking the stat, but you are still, like, what, fifth in the league in assists? You're tied with Luca. We'll see who has more assists tomorrow between you guys. No, but seriously, like, you've you've come on and, like, you've adapted to life as a Raptor really quickly. And listen, I think a lot of Raptors in franchise history have struggled to join the team in free agency. Some have, like, gone off to slow starts or been disappointing. You've hit the ground running faster than I remember any Raptors free agent. So I just wanted to hear from your perspective. Like, why do you think you've been so successful so quickly joining the new team here?
3: I mean, uh, it's just uh, just, um, so easy uh, for me because, I mean, Darko, first off, I know him and I'm always a guy who, you know, wants to play um, comfortably and um, knowing that a coach, you know, believes in you and make sure that, you know, um, he puts you in the right spots. Um, it's just- just you know um everything to me and uh i think i can just play free here um i got teammates who are making it easy for me as well who knock down shots and uh great rolls, and um i mean we're kicking the ball ahead and make sure we're putting pressure on the room early and i think that's my play style and mm. uh, i've been in the league now you know my 10th year i'm going into my 11th now and um I mean, I I, I just know how the game go, and um, I feel very confident and very, like, comfortable in that situation where Darko puts me in and um, just try to make the best as possible, you know, Um, try to go out there and compete and um, get a W every single night.
0: Yeah, well, no, you've been been excellent. Um, I think what's been interesting, too, is because the Raptors have struggled with finding consistency from the backup point guard position, and and you've played some backup in, in your career as well. You've obviously played as a starter, too. Um, mm-hmm. How do you see Malachi growing right now? Because I think for, for him, last couple of years, he's been one of the backup point guards, but then he's been third string. Sometimes not playing. Sometimes going to the G League. But it seems like this year, he's starting to find a little bit of a role for himself. You know, it seems like he's really scrappy on defense. And I see you in his ear all the time. So I'm curious in terms of your perspective on how Malachi's been adapting to that role behind you.
3: I mean, the, the last two years, I've seen one game he played, then the next game he didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um then he comes in, plays maybe two minutes, five minutes and gets subbed out again. Um and it messes with you a little bit, you know, with your confidence. And um I told him, Yeah, listen, like um I'm I'm a guy who wanna see everybody win, elevate, and uh he we need him. Mm. And uh what he did last game against San Antonio, picking up full court, just disrupting the, the offense from the other team. Um, picking up full like I did, um, or like I do every single game probably. Um, just pushing the pace on the offensive end, finding his role there first, you know, to get on the floor. I think that's the most important. Um, and a lot of people don't understand it, uh, young players, but um, it's not about scoring in mm-hmm. the NBA. It's not about, you know, like I got to score 20 points. Like, how can you impact winning and how can you just, you know, go out there and make sure um, you give what the team needs from you? And I think uh, we got so much talent in the room, of course, when he's open and uh, when he's aggressive and can score and that's the right decision, then take it. But if um, if uh, you ain't got to force anything and I think I just try to help him. On that, you know, just seeing the floor more. Maybe we can play together if he mm. takes a next step that we can play together as two, you know, point guards on the floor, make it even quicker. And, um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's steps for him too. It's the first time that a coach really trusts him and say, says, listen, every mm. single game you're going to play, you're going to get a role and we need you. And uh, we need everybody who is uh, in that locker room because it's a long season. Um, and uh, I think... What he did last the last game was elite from him. And when he does that, he going to find his role very quickly.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that's... Uh, man, I'm really happy for Malika that he got you, he got coach in his corner right now. Because I think he really did need this chance, right? Because, you know... Yes. Uh, I'm sure you've been in that position before where you don't really know if you're going to play the next day or not. It just affects everything yeah. in your life because you guys put everything yeah. you guys have towards preparing for, uh, for the performances. All right, I know, Dennis, look, listen. Like, you're, you're clearly... In the middle of things so i don't want to ask you too many questions i'm gonna let you go a little early but i want to ask you this last question um i notice a lot after games you got a lot of ice on you got a lot of ice on you really take care of your body in that way uh, who got more ice on after the game you were auto porter these days
3: <laughs> i'm not i'm not sure uh um i mean i got you know ice bath uh, i got that uh from from lebron james i mean mm. he showed me the way um i did ice uh, after every practice um since my fourth or fifth year but i mean lebron is like uh he got uh he does it probably like two three times a day and uh did it on his back as well and um got a um the foot bath with ice in it then knees back, shoulders, and um, I just try to, you know, um, do the same thing because, I mean, he's one of the best players in the world, uh-huh. been playing for 21 years, and um, it's been helping me as well. And uh, I think I feel fresh. I just turned 30 and um, still pick up full court. So uh, yeah, it's been well. It's been going good. So uh, I'm going to keep at it. But to come to your question, I think Arthur Porter still has more ice than me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, Dennis Schroeder, you uh, you you hit the freeze on and off the court. All right, so uh, we we're gonna let you go, man. But I uh, appreciate you. and all I'll right, call man. you again next week. All right, get this win tomorrow.
3: All right, man. Thank you very much. All right, Dennis Schroeder. Well, yo, listen,
0: uh, Alex, we're gonna bring you in for the last uh, <laughs> a minute. And a
5: half. Hi, mom. I'm at work today. So the story today here, was supposed to be my day off. Is all it I'm was supposed say. to be your day Long off. Long story. We'll you, tell it on the banter pod.
0: You've been, you've been scrapping well, around. Yeah, Banter pod coming tomorrow. We, yeah. We'll record one, probably we drop will, it Thursday. We will
5: let you know the full story of why I was supposed to be off today.
0: Yeah, well, still, um, I just got to say, man, Dennis, the commitment to joining the show.
5: Dennis was rolling through, like, GoldenEye, like, double, like, N64. Like, yeah. he was in three different levels. Yeah. Like, I saw him go through different. Like, this is yeah. like an opening screen of a video game. He started on the team bus. I saw <laughs> Big Ugly Jakob right behind him. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, so okay. so technically, that was Jacob Erdo's fourth interview. With with the with the raptor show, and and then he gets up and then he gets off the bus. He sits on the curb, bro. He's on a curb. This is like for yeah.
0: people who listen to the podcast. This is why you got to watch it on on Sportsnet. Is because you got to see this man.
5: No, if this is not this. if this is go not watch the it best on promo, go watch it on YouTube. If this is not the best promo to to subscribe, get cable, yeah, yeah. get Sportsnet Plus. Like yeah. you need to see where Dennis is at all times. No. I'll die when he joined the Zoom and he's on the bus. He's on the bus. And, and, he's sitting
0: on a curb outside the hotel. Seems like someone told him to move. He walks into the hotel. Yeah. He's on a chair. He's on the background. The background looks like. He's like, you know the Hall of Mirrors where um, the weekend was at the Super Bowl performance? <laughs> oh,
5: yeah. He was like looking around.
0: <laughs> Salute that Shooter, man. The commitment to joining the show is excellent. And uh, I will eventually ask him the story about how he got discovered in Germany. But uh, he's got too many great quotes in the meantime about Malachi, about Scotty, and about himself as well. So uh, we're going to wrap it here. i your host. Well, Lou, you've been listening to The Wrap the Show. Bye, Mom. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Dennis Schroeder, Lee Osman, Oren Weisfeld, producer and co host Alex Wong. Seriously, special shout out to you coming in on your day off. Blake Murphy, who got a special interview for you soon. Our board producer, Derek Brendale, Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, Jeremy Natat, helping behind the scenes. We'll be back tomorrow.